0: Don't talk to your mother like that. Don't you pick on George. (laughs) He has enough on his mind trying to think up ways to earn enough money to pay for your knave, which you don't need. Oh, you see there, George? Even your mother agrees with me. Well, uh, on the other hand. Understand you wanting somebody to keep the place neat and clean (laughs) (laughs) for a change. Hi, this is Daphne Maxwell Reed, and you are listening to TV Confidential.
1: Ed Robertson welcoming you back to the Confidential Radio talk show about television that is happy to bring you part two of a conversation that began last week with award-winning writer-producer Jay Mariardi. Jay, along with his writing partner Mike Milligan, spent seven years as a staff writer, producer, and later showrunner of The Jeffersons. The Jeffersons, the long-running sitcom produced by Norman Lear and starring Isabel Sanford and Sherman Hemsley. Jay also wrote for other Norman Lear shows, including the famous Draft Dodger episode of All in the Family, as well as episodes of such shows as Good Times, Maude, That's My Mama, The Royal Family, and What's Happening. Jay's memoir, Honky in the House, not only takes you inside the writing room of the Jeffersons, but reveals how a white dude from the Midwest can make a living writing and producing quote-unquote African-American shows with research, empathy, and imagination but not necessarily in that order. Honky in the House is available online at Amazon.com, wherever books are sold online. You can follow Jay Moriarty on Facebook. When we left off last week, we were beginning to talk about working with some of the various cast members of the Jeffersons, including Marla Gibbs and Isabel Sanford, as we pick up the conversation. You mentioned her briefly in Honky in the House, Jay, but Zara Cully who played Mother Jefferson. I mean, she was another one of the reasons why you love watching the Jeffersons because to see her and Louise Lockhorns. I don't know whether Isabel had a direct role in casting Zara Cully or whether she strongly recommended that they cast Zara, but I understand that she and she and Isabel in real life were very, very good friends.
2: That's true, yeah. They both uh, have a, a real acting cast and plays. In fact, uh, Zara... Zara Cully uh, was an acting teacher, and acting cook. Yeah, I, you know, I wasn't around when Zara and, and Isabel were actually cast, but it's my understanding that Isabel did recommend Zara. In fact, Zara had actually said to her, if you ever get a chance to, you know, have me play your mother, uh, I could play your mother. And so it turned out they could do that. And, they you know, of course they went head-to-head the characters on stage, but they were very close, and uh, everybody was, was sad to see Zara. You know, she finally, I think she was like 86 when she passed of cancer. She was not well for a while, you know, but the guys would still have her. Dominic Don used to say, uh, We well, wish we could uh, put her on, a, on a wheels and then roll her on and off the stage, you know. <laughs> but she was great with delivery. If you notice the last couple of shows she was in, she we had her seated in a chair, you know, on the kitchen table and stuff. Because she had trouble walking, but yeah, she was a real real loss to the show and a real plus. And big Jefferson fans out there who big fans of Mother Jefferson, you know, they all know what her favorite drink was, Bloody Mary, and how they just love the fact they stuck up for her son about everything. You know, he was never wrong. You know. We did do an episode where Jenny and Lionel get married, and then Jenny be, and Louise becomes the mother-in-law. So Louise, they had Louise versus Jenny, I think was the title of that episode where she becomes a mother-in-law. Yeah, there was a lot of, you know, at Zara's uh, funeral, I mean, all the kids, The cast was just a great, you know, Frank Cover, who played the honky, and <laughs> Roxy Wilker, who played uh, Helen Willis. Just wonderful people, wonderful actors. Paul Benedict, who played Harry Bentley, who's a well-known director and actor on, on Broadway. A lot of people th- think Harry was, a, the Harry Bentley character was British. Paul was, you know, he's an American actor. Roxy Roker, by the way, uh, Lenny Kravitz's mom, you know. Mm-hmm. Lenny Kravitz, who's now Lenny Kravitz, yes. <laughs> uh, was, was just a kid, you know. He was a little kid hanging around, you know. In fact, I remember Lenny saying they, they moved out of here when he was 12 years old. His mom was going out to do this pilot. They didn't know how long they were going to be out. They moved, uh, they, the first place they lived was in Santa Monica. And Lenny said when he got up, he was kind of, he didn't want to leave New York City. But he gets up in the morning and he goes outside and he says, where are all the people? Like, you know, Santa is a lot different from New York as far as people being on the, the streets. But uh, it was a wonderful cast. Charlie the bartender, too. I don't want to forget Charlie. Oh, uh, Danny... Danny Wells. Danny Wells, yeah. Very talented actor, good comic, you know, and uh, it was a good group.
1: And there are many great stories about that good group in Honky in the House. Honky in the House, writing and producing The Jeffersons by our guest Jay Moriarty. You can find Honky in the House Amazon.com, wherever books are sold online.
2: We're talking about characters. I should mention, and I realize that, uh, Lionel and Jenny, you know, were a big part of the, the show, you know. Actually, uh, Mike Evans, who played Lionel, was kind of the first Jefferson, you know. Yeah. So that's how what led to the spinoff. And then, of course, uh, uh, Mike uh, went to pursue other things after the first 13 episodes of yeah. the Jefferson. Yeah, I, I, understand, I
1: understand one of the things he was pursuing was i understand that he he helped develop good times and get good times on the air and so i was told that he left the jefferson so that he can focus behind the scenes on good times Do you well, know yeah it? that's
2: that's what you'd be told that's what people say these days but actually oh, uh okay <laughs> i don't want to say yeah okay. Mike was a he was he was involved in the creation of good times yeah in fact uh, you know, I wasn't there and didn't see this personally, but from what I understand is Norman, you know, at the time wanted to uh, spin off Esther Roll, who was playing the Maud's mate, and do a show with the black family, which would be a, a novel thing. And he wanted black writers on the scene. Well, he asked Mike, do you know, any black writers, you know, Mike knew a writer who had written Cooley High, which was a member of the movie and everything. Yeah, which, Mike, which was later developed into what's happening now. Yeah. Mike Evans and his friend Ryder got together and worked with Norman, and they were, they did some original writing on the show, which became Good Times. In fact, the family's name is Evans, the same as Mike, you know, Mike Evans. And if you watch Good Times, you'll see created by Mike Evans and his then writing partner. But by, I think after first episode, though, Mike really wasn't involved in, in writing any of Good Times, you know why mike left it was my understanding at the time and you know only mike would know for sure but he's not around anymore mike evans he he died you know like in the early 50s when he was a pretty young guy but uh I, I thought he was just wanted to pursue other acting
1: kind of things. okay so we, we we could add that to the list of things that you debunk in honky in the house honky in the house uh jay mariarty's Memoir behind the scenes of writing uh, and producing the Jeffersons, which Jay did for seven years along with his longtime writing partner, Mike Milligan.
2: I just want to I keep uh, Belinda Talbert. what a great actor she was, yes. and what a joy to have around she was, who played Jenny on the, the show, and I, I, want, I didn't want to fail to mention the, her contribution to the
1: and you can read about Berlinda Tolbert and all the other cast members in Honky in the House, uh, Writing and Producing the Jeffersons by Jay Moriarty, which you can find right now, Amazon.com. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back. This is a basic question. I always like to ask it. Why is it that writing for comedy requires two people? I mean, there, <laughs> it's always, it always seems to be done in, in, in tandem.
2: Well, I'll tell you, in in the early days, which I guess were the 70s when I started out, um, they liked hiring teams. So um, as I mentioned in the book, and I addressed that subject, but uh, that's what I got to the point, it took me, uh, when I first came out, it was like four years to finally, I knew nothing about uh, writing you know, I know I wanted to write for television, but I didn't know anything about it. There was no, when I was in college, Xavier University, there were no courses in, in film writing and writing for TV or screen, anything like that. it took me like four years to figure and And I figured you needed three things to make it in writing comedy for television. One is a spec script, two is an agent, and three is a partner. And they like to hire teams. And also, when you're working on comedy, it's good to have somebody that bounces off, you know, if this is funny, you know. If you tell a joke in the forest, is it funny? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> if you, your partner and you lay, you know, when you tell something, the other guy laughs, or when they, when you both laugh, and, hey, that's funny. And then also is, you know, when I end up producing, when I would get scripts from agents, and I would always look for a script with two people on it as opposed to one, figuring uh, I get two for the price of one, you know. You hope one of the guys isn't crazy, at least. Mm-hmm. And you... And that's, that's the thing too. So when you write with a partner, you, you're pretty much, you have to share the money, but you can move a lot faster with a partner too. Like, you know, once Mike and I got in and could do things and when we end up producing and running the show, it's all really good to have a partner to, okay, you take care of this. I'll take care of that, this kind of thing, you know? And uh, it, yeah, it's just a big thing. But nowadays it's a little different when you're room writing, everything is room written. If you read uh, in the house, you'll see that in the Normans, in those days, the Norman shows, there were no writer's rooms per se. You know, we get together maybe and give notes on things, but uh, it kind of went up the chain. You know, you guys write the first draft, second day, we'll give you notes, and then we'll take it from here. And um, you know, We didn't sit around in a room today. They sit, you know, 12 guys in a room, and uh, you know, two guys might not say anything, and uh, you, you ruin a dynamic. Well, a lot of times, I mean, I've known writing teams where one guy doesn't talk much and the other one does. And I, a person just looking and say, well, why don't you get rid of that guy that doesn't talk? Well, in the room, in other words, they have their own dynamic yeah. in the room. Writers, what I found out is, you know, I've written on a lot of shows now where we have writer's rooms, but a lot of the best talkers uh, are not good writers. If you yeah. send them off to write a, write a scene and they come back, they're like, what's this? But in a room, they're talking good. So. I've always kind of, you know, it seems like an oxymoron to me to have a writers' room. You know, writing is usually—I mean, look at drama. You know, you write screenplays, and books come out of one guy. You know, um, so you get a bunch of people together, and uh, I don't know. Hopefully, you'll get a good, a good broth. But you know what they say about too many chefs. Plus, it takes longer. You got you're sitting there till three in the morning. Everybody, you know,
1: two guys. And I believe it was your friend Ted Bergman who said, uh, "He's that's one of the things he talks about in his book." Um, in his book, yeah, um, professions of, uh, of a of a rogue work. comedy writer, he talks about the the lack of wisdom of trying to stay up until three o'clock in the morning to rewrite something because nine times out of ten, something that's funny at three o'clock in the morning is not funny at 9 o'clock when you're sober and awake and full of coffee. and There's, there's wisdom. One of the
2: many good points he makes in his book, yeah. yeah. So and He was in the old days, uh, I mean, Sanford and Son, uh, he started that, and uh, yeah, well, he goes back to, to his mother's brothers and all. But yeah, it's, uh, it's changed a lot today as far as that writer's room thing. And part of it changed when sitcom writers were getting their own shows, like uh, Roseanne's a good example, and then for writing staff, she brought in a lot of funny comics that she knows, but ne- they're not necessarily writers. When you're writing a half-hour play, it's a little bit more disciplined than that. So not to say that stand-up comics can't be good writers, but uh It's, a, it's a
1: different form. It, it, yeah. it, it's a different form. It requires a different sort of thought process and a different kind of structure. Uh, we've talked about every... I think we've talked about every cast member of the Jeffersons, except Sherman Hemsley himself. And one of the things you tell your readers in Honky in the House, Jay, is that it just shows what a great actor Sherman Hemsley was. Sherman and George were diametrically opposite people.
2: Yeah, you can't get more opposite than George Jefferson <laughs> than Sherman Hemsley was. Sherman was all about peace, love. You know, everything was peace, peace, love. In fact, his, his company, I think, was called uh, Peace Love Inc. He was... Uh, just a wonderful person and just a real innocent. I mean, you know, would never be calling anybody any kind of names or slurs or, or just was just a, a real quiet, shy guy, kind of a word on the court with, uh, of the show. When when Mike and I first started writing on the Jeffersons, he would come in our office. He would always identify with the lowest person on the totem pole. He would come in and sleep on our sofa, you know, when he was during uh, lunch and everything. And, uh, we got to know Sherman really well. He would, give an example, when we first started, he would take a, uh, at the dinner, you know, we had dinner between shows, and first thing he would do is make a plate of food and take it down to the security guard. I mean, you know, how could you not love a guy like this? Yeah. He was just, and that's the way we, when we became, you know, Mike and I were running the show when, when we went over to Hawaii, and we went to pick up Sherman at the airport, and uh, we go, hey, Sherman, you know, welcome to, Aloha, where's your? Let's go get your luggage. And he goes, uh, what luggage? We said, where, didn't you bring some luggage? No. he didn't bring a thing. with just t-shirt, jeans, and sneakers. That's the way. He, he didn't even bring a toothbrush. <laughs> so you know, he just kind of. He was he was like a little kid, but he was a wonderful kid. He was a wonderful actor. When he got on that stage, he would just boom. Remember when we had Billy D. Williams on on the show? You know, Billy D. played himself. You know, Florence had a thing for Billy D. And Billy, so Billy D. When well, we're at the Given notes before we go on to, after dress rehearsal to go on in front of an audience. Uh, Sherman sitting back just kind of you know leaning like this with eyes half closed half asleep, and Jack Shea the director to give the notes you know particular things like when uh, when you open the door open the, with your left hand instead of your right hand so camera three you can see it. and when you say this line instead of saying it real calm get real excited, and, and Billy D I'm sitting there he turns to me and says hey, he's never going to get the because he looked like he was asleep, you know. And I said to, to Billy, I said, well, wait, you'll see. I went, well, we did the show. Sherman, everything, exactly what he says, left hand. Afterwards, Billy D. said to me, well, he, he used to call me uh, Moriarty. He called Mike and I by our last name. He said, <laughs> Moriarty, you write about your man. And then Sherman was that way. He was just he's a wonderful actor and in impersonal, in very shy. You didn't see him on, on talk shows much, like, you know. He didn't. Uh, he didn't like
1: to talk much. He just was quiet, shy. And well, was he was a he was a consummate artist in that way. It was about the work. It was about the show. Was about the character. I don't know whether whether you talked to him or whether or whether he talked to you about the George character and how it well, suddenly sl- yeah, evolved. Sherman
2: telling me, and I mentioned in the book about how his process. He says when he gets a script, he doesn't like hey, my tip's attention to memorizing lines or anything, he kind of reads it quickly and just kind of gets the feel of what the story's about and then goes from there. And he was, uh, he was always, get the lines. You know, a lot of shows you work on, uh, they have to stop, you know, the actors go up, they forget their lines and uh, Jefferson's boy, it's like British actors, you know, they all knew their lines. And one of the tricks though was John Mickey and Bernie when they're, that we learned from them, we learned everything from them. But basically, by, by the time you're Friday, you, you pretty much lock your script in. You don't, if you have to make, if you have to make any changes, you make them over the weekend, but by the time they get their script on Monday, that's it. You don't make changes because it just, and then shows do just the opposite these days. They make changes all the way up to, but well, they're taping this, they're running walking changes into the actors. And you just don't get the best performances that way. So the actors know that if they lock in their, in their lines, really if they lock them in by Friday, they were supposed to have them be on book, by, be off book by Friday, but that it's not going to change much, so they feel comfortable. These days, actors are like, well, why should I remember, because they're going to rewrite the whole script overnight, and I'll get a whole new script
1: in the morning. Jay Moriarty is with us via Skype. Jay's book, Honky in the House, writing and producing The Jeffersons, is a behind-the-scenes look at Jay's seven years as staff writer, producer, and later showrunner, of the Jeffersons. We'll talk some more with Jay when we come back, including why it is a disservice to the George Jefferson character to consider him a quote-unquote African-American Archie Bunker. We'll talk some more with Jay Moriarty after this quick timeout
0: So if you've lost a loved one due to COVID-19, call the legal helpline right now to find out if you qualify for a cash award. Here's our number. 800-915-8054. 800-915-8054. 800-915-8054. That's 800-915-8054. Paid for by the IPG Law Group. 800-917-2194, 800-917-2194, 800-917-2194, that's 800-917-2194.
1: Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk.